Amen. It's good to sing praises to our God. Happy Father's Day. We're hoping that you're here and able to enjoy this day. Hopefully it's a joyful time for you. I realize there may be some pain for some of you as you consider that. But I hope even knowing that our God is a father to the fatherless brings some encouragement and some ease to that pain. There's a season where a lot's going on here at Parkview, and we had our congregational meeting almost a couple weeks ago now with some look to what the future will look like, and then this last week, this place was just filled with kids running everywhere for VBS, and it was like great chaos, if you can imagine that, but it was great to see all the kids coming out. You got to see the video from that, and we're so excited about what the Lord is doing with our children. Last week, you got to hear from Pastor Wade, and you will hear from him one more time next week before he moves to Naperville, so be here for that. And last week, he shared with us that a whole disciple hears and does the Word. Because of Jesus, we can be people who both receive and do the Word. Jesus saves us from our anger, liberates us to obey, humbles us so we can exalt him by his grace. James is ultra, ultra practical. And it's that whole listen before you respond. Very wise words. And he highlighted last week, uh, way did from, from this text, that gospel of, it, the gospel is how God liberates us from sin, which is done by the work of Christ. And the law shows us how to live then in that liberation in response to the grace we have received that we did not earn. So the question was, how are we doing in our speech? How are we caring for the needy? Are we living unstained by the world? Our hope, God gives more grace. I've entitled today's message, Proper Classification. Throughout his letter, James wants us to show the relationship between what we do and what we say we believe. The former is the better indicator of our actual beliefs than the latter. Today's text is going to be out of chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. At East Campus last week, Len shared some wonderful words when he shared the, the practical side of James. He said, you know, research without production is without value. We learn by labor, watching and working. Learning must be applied. Study followed by sweat and reading by response. I thought that was excellent. Today we will see James further addressing the issue of how we treat others. He is quick to address the, the, the issue of people treating people according to their worldly wealth. So we'll see, first of all, Christians should not be pre prejudicial in their treatment of others. Christians cannot pick and choose which laws matter. And Christians are to be agents of mercy. Let's look at the first four verses there of James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, 
while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together to lift up your name and bring you praise and worship and adoration for you are worthy. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you because of the shed blood of Christ, because of his death and resurrection, because he invites us to be your children through faith. Father, we thank you for the reports that we've heard this morning and we just even think of, of our global workers and, and Lord, we just praise you for, for Mary and what's happening there and we would ask your blessing upon her. For our other global workers around the world, we ask you to, to bless them and to uh, work in their hearts and lives and their ministries and may your power be evident there and may we be faithful in our prayerful support of them. Father, we pray for our East Campus today. We ask your blessing upon their service and thank you for the first service here and we just commit them all to you and pray that you would just now take this time as we gather and would you just speak to our hearts, would you speak through me? Father, help us to see what we need to see and to hear what we need to hear and to apply it. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I think it's fascinating here that that James speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and refers to him as the Lord of glory. That's pretty unique in the New Testament. And, and we're going to come back to that thought and, and to maybe uh, dig into that just a, a little bit more. But he jumps right in and he says, show no partiality. So Christians should not be prejudicial in their treatment of others. We, we've certainly left to wonder what was happening in the church of that day. James starts out, my brothers or brethren, don't show favoritism. Do not be prejudicial. You cannot act like this. Show no partiality. And he says, and he, he makes a reference to the Lord Jesus, the glorious Lord Jesus. And he says, listen, you are brothers. And so there's this address that is being given to, to the believers here. It, he's saying, you should not be doing this. Do not show partiality. Do not show favoritism. There's a reference to the assembly, and, and, and this is a little bit uncertain as to what this group is here. Is this a church meeting? Is this happening in a synagogue setting? Or what else is happening here? It's not exactly clear what, what's going on here in verses 2 through 4. There's some options here. We could have a situation where we have non-believing visitors coming into a Christian service. We could have believing visitors that maybe were new converts coming into a Christian worship service. There's also some elements that would suggest that there's a, a Christian trial here, or maybe there's some kind of all of this happening where we've got believers and there's partiality being shown in a trial. We just simply can't be sure, but we get the tone from it for sure. And, and again, some kind of a religious gathering. Now, in the days of the synagogue, seating really mattered in a synagogue. 
And a new pastor to Parkview a few months ago learned the hard way that seating really matters here at Parkview as well. When I moved some seats around, I, I was uh, under fire here. It was pretty important where people sit. But certainly the lack of a sound system in that day would have uh, made a, a difference because the best seats were the front seats. And they're again, different from our culture. But it was also a way of identifying who's who. It was status-related. Economic status was very noticeable in that day and in that time. If someone was poor, it was pretty obvious. Today, here in America, the untrained eye might be fooled off, fooled by a, a, a knockoff Louis Vuitton bag. Maybe it was made by his brother Herbie or whatever. I don't know. But we can kind of fool each other maybe a little bit with how we dress or whatever. You can maybe present yourself as having more than you do. Not so in that day. In Rome, the law favored the rich. The senatorial cl class would, would wear rings and, and jewels would even be sewn into their garments. They were the elite class and it was apparent to all. I don't know what your experience was like, but, but growing up, uh, my worst day to go to school was the day that I was at the bottom of the clothing drawer. My least favorite stuff. I had four older brothers, and so stuff would get handed down to me. It was pretty worn out by then or outdated or whatever. But worse yet was the two brothers that were older than me were shorter. I was going to say short, but they weren't short. They were shorter. And so for me, when I got to the bottom of the pants drawer, it was those days when I would walk to school and my ankles would freeze because I had no pants over my ankles. They were too short. And I, would, I was bound to receive some unsolicited comments about them. The poor usually had one cloak or garment and not able to wash it very much. They can't say that my other cloak is in the wash, right? Obviously limited. The law did not favor them. The poor could not bring legal case against the wealthy. Imagine that. No recourse. No action that can be taken. The rich were oppressing the poor in Palestine. So James jumps on this. How could you be a part of this? How could you make these value judgments? Or how could you become judges with evil motives? Notice that he's saying that, showing this partiality, you're making a judgment, so you're becoming judges, and you're doing it with evil motives. He calls it evil. Look at verses 5 through 7. Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James explains here that the, the Christians should not show favoritism, and he does it by highlighting three contradictions. First of all, it contradicts God's way how God acts. In that fifth verse, uh, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which God has promised to those who love him? 
God shows no partiality, so he, neither should his children. It's a direct contradiction to God's ways. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. He wrote these words. For, you, uh, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's saying, consider the way that God has acted. Consider those whom God has selected. Consider yourselves. He's saying, God flips the economy around, and God chose you to do so. He chose you to be different. Some 28 years ago, after examining Scripture about God's heart toward people, I decided that I wanted to go to Los Angeles and spend a few days living in the homeless community. We were in Northern California at the time. I shared this idea with my wife, and she told me how bad that idea was. But my heart in it was, was the idea of just going amongst different people and seeing what their life is like, trying to be life and light to them, understanding how much God values people. James is saying, listen, it contradicts God's ways to act like this. And it, secondly, it contradicts common sense. He says, you have dishonored the poor man the rich are the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court, the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called. He's saying, how can you as Christians be okay with making life even harder for those who are already oppressed? Especially when you're doing it by lifting up those who are oppressing the poor. You're exalting the ones who are, are causing the oppression. This makes no sense. These are the people who are making life rough for you, dragging you into court and exploiting you. Worse yet, they are trashing the name of your Savior, yet you exalt them. It's as though James is saying, how can you not see this? It's a contradiction to God's ways. It's a contradiction to common sense, and it contradicts Scripture. Look at verses 8 through 11 of James 2. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
He's saying, listen, Christians should not be prejudicial in their treatment of others. And he's pointing out these three contradictions of God's ways, of common sense of Scripture. And he's ultimately saying the second thing is that Christians cannot pick and choose which laws matter. Jesus had taught the people to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's referring all the way back to the Old Testament in Leviticus 19, verses 15 and verse 18. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Then Paul writes in Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no, does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. So jump back at James 2 again, look at verses 8 again. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. It's not enough to care about some of God's instruction or God's law and disregard the rest. That's where it might get a little painful for us. You cannot excuse yourself by finding a place where you are doing well and using your faithfulness in that area to justify your compromise in another. We like to do that sometimes, don't we? We like to compare. Sometimes comparing is, is convicting. Other times comparing, it, it helps us feel better. If we, can, if we can compare, we might be able to say, well, I'm doing better than someone else in this area. And so we feel good about ourselves, and yet we're compromising in other areas. And in so doing, we're treating God's will as a menu of options, a la carte, if you will. If you love your neighbor, you're doing right. If you show favoritism, you sin. Partiality is a transgression. Consider with me for a minute the usher in this illustration that James gives us. He sees the wealthy man coming. No doubt most people notice this individual. Very clear that he has money. He runs to him and ushers him right up front to those good seats. But then the poor man comes, and the usher might be a little bit agitated or frustrated, and he takes him and puts him wherever he can fit him. James is saying he's made an improper classification. But it might help us to think about the whys of an issue like this. It's likely a, a, a desire to gain rich converts to the faith or, or to make friends with the rich and powerful. 
And, and maybe it was even fear-driven for these people because if I'm nice to that individual, that's at least one individual who's not going to drag me into court and take everything away that I have. So it's that bowing to him because we, we know if we don't, they might treat me badly. Because money is power. But maybe they're thinking, oh, if we could just bring them in, their money could empower our movement for Jesus. What James is teaching about partiality here is not new. Even in the Jewish culture, even moving forward into the second century, Jewish rabbis would require both litigants to wear the exact same clothing to avoid partiality. Jewish tradition equated oppressing the poor to murder. Then we go back and says, if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder... You're guilty of the law. Now, I think it's always important as we go through the book of James, it's so, it's so practical. It's so, uh, you know, command-driven. We have to stop and, and just make sure that we don't emphasize doing so much that it leads us to a lack of harmony between the faith and works. They are complementary to one another. But James hits hard, and, and James, this idea he's presenting is that if we have the improper motives as we treat people, that, that, that means we're going to mistreat them. Someone's going to be mistreated if we do it wrong. Jesus spoke about motivation in Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He said these things. He said, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He's saying, serve those who cannot return it, give to those who can offer you nothing back. It's Father's Day, so I'll tell you about a lesson I learned as a father. I vividly remember learning a powerful lesson in economics, and I learned it from my little girl, Mallory, when she was just five or six. I'd laid down in my bed one night, and, and as I was getting comfortable, I, I kind of reached and I heard this crackling noise and I reached by my pillow and there was this package of something and I, I remember thinking, why, why must they play in my bed? We have a whole house. We have all these places. Why are they playing in my bed? And I, and I took whatever that was and I just flicked it onto the floor and went to sleep irritated. The next morning, Mallory came running to me and she said, did you get my gift, Daddy? And I said, oh, what gift? She said, the one I, I put by your pillow. And I went, oh, shoot. I said, excuse me a moment. And I ran back to the bedroom and I'm digging around and behind the nightstand had fallen this little square package a trial size, plain M&Ms. And the package was kind of worn out. You could tell it had been in her hands a lot. 
that on it was overly taped. Kids like to tape things securely. A little note that said, I love you, Daddy. And I just had a moment where I sat in that room and I was just like humbled by the fact that I was irritated by her gift. But it also hit me because in the economy of an adult, it's very insignificant, the 11 M&Ms or whatever that are in that bag. But in the economy of a little girl, this was a, an extravagant gift. And she thought of me. And she was giving back to me from what she could give. That, that has helped me over the years as I've dealt with different people. I've had the joy of having different individuals in my life who have had different needs over the years. And I'll be honest, sometimes those needs have been burdensome to me, sometimes tiring. But because of that little lesson in economics, I could learn to value a little thank you note from an individual I helped, a card that you open up and nothing falls out of it, but within it are the words of thank you in an economy that says, that's of high value. It's this idea of functioning with an eternal mindset of being repaid at the resurrection. Layman Strauss said, love finds and makes neighbors of those who need our love. Isn't that great? Love finds and makes neighbors of those who need our love. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. When I first arrived in Sarasota, Florida as the new youth pastor, I remember uh, observing the first time that it rained that the whole parking lot turned into a lake. It had kind of sunk. And to walk into the front doors, the entry doors of the church, after it had rained meant you might be walking through two to, two to four inches of water. It was terrible. But I remember being told by the pastor and some of the board members, they, their, money, their finances weren't good, but they said, it, it's okay because... Uh, the pastor led a man to Christ and the man is very, very wealthy. And that man has told us to set up a matching fund and he will give us a half million dollars if we can raise the other half million dollars. So the church was actively doing this. And the man wrote the first check for $25,000. I remember hearing about the man regularly, but I hadn't seen him. One particular Sunday, another man came into the church and he was clearly uh, not on the same end of life had some drug issues, had financial issues. And it was neat. He came in, he sat all the way down the front, and a, a couple of gentlemen came and sat with him. It was neat to see that happen. And that man left that day. And what was interesting is in the following Sundays, the man who was looked for was the man who had made this great commitment of money. But they weren't watching for the other man. 
And interestingly, neither man ever came back. Not ever. That man did not, the man did not make good on his financial commitment. And the other man didn't come either. But it was interesting who they watched for and wondered why he wasn't coming. Love your neighbor, you're doing right. Show favoritism, you sin. Christians should not be prejudicial of their treatment of others. Christians cannot pick and choose which laws matter. And Christians are to be agents of mercy. Look at verses 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How great is that? Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, you know how wonderful it is that we have a merciful and gracious Savior. And no matter what our status is, we need that mercy and grace. Without it, we're doomed. Do we tend to treat people the way the world does rather than considering them through God's eyes and seeing them the way God does? Are you living a life that demonstrates your stated belief in a God of mercy? Or is it easier just to say it? Do you realize that as Christians, when we allow ourselves to believe that some people might deserve more than others, that in that we have forgotten just how wretched our own sin is apart from Christ. That, that's the beauty of the gospel because it, it levels the playing field and we understand we are all desperately needy. It doesn't matter what you own. It just matters. To, the simple fact is that it matters that you are desperately lost without the grace of Christ. And if we know Jesus and we've received that grace and mercy, then we are to be people, to be agents of mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. In the beginning there, James referred to Jesus as the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Again, you don't find that in other places in the New Testament. You say, okay, why does he do that? As I looked at the text, what does he talk about right after that? If you see someone walking in with gold rings and, and jewels and is clearly wealthy, be careful. Why might he be doing that? Certainly, if we compare the, the man in shabby clothes that are dirty and he has nothing to the, to the one who comes in and wearing uh, gold rings and has jewels sewn into his garment, we see glory and, and, and dirtiness, right? But it's like James is telling look past that. Look past to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and function the way he functions and see the way he sees. 
maybe a good prayer for us is, God, make us a people of radical integrity and love who see people and the world as you see it, not as the world sees. Help us become a community that lives in the reality of your judgment, both as future and a present reality. And let us refuse to become judges with evil motives. This morning in our prayer Zoom, Mark Mesnick shared Psalm 27 from the Net Bible, and it says, Teach me how to live and lead me. What a great prayer.